Good afternoon. It is my pleasure, privilege to present this afternoon's lesson. And before I do, I just want to compliment Brandon on his lesson this morning. I thought that was excellent. I think that really gets to the issue that we have in overcoming sin and thinking of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. It's well prepared and delivered. I, there aren't very many movies that I watch more than once, not very many books I read more than once, and not many real sermons, really, that I care to hear again soon after I've heard them one time. But I, I could stand to hear that one again tonight. But I'm giving you a break, right? <laughs> okay. But it, thank you. Thank you for the good lesson. Uh, tonight's lesson, I hope, is one that you find to be interesting, um, informative, and most of all, encouraging. We're going to be talking about the founder of salvation. And in doing so, we're going to be looking, of course, at, at the Bible and some scriptures. And we're going to be looking at a particular word that is very rich in its meaning. And we're going to see that word and, and the many implications that it has as it is used in the scriptures. And then see how that can apply in helping us to be encouraged in our path through our spiritual lives. So when we're talking about the founder of salvation in Hebrews 2, verses 9 and 10, and I I use the English Standard Version most of the time. That's what the passages will be from. Please follow along with whatever translation you have. And I think even in tonight's lesson, you'll see that there's a lot to be gained from comparing English translations of the Bible. But we see him who was, or who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Because he tasted death, we have our sins paid for. So it was crucial that he did that. And then it goes on to say, for it was fitting that he... For whom and by whom all things exist, that is God, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So the founder of our salvation, of course, is Jesus Christ, the one who tasted death for everyone. The founder of salvation, the word that is used there, is a very interesting word. And if you are following along in a translation different from the English Standard Version, you're finding a different word there. Now, I can remember when everybody used the King James Version. I mean, that was the one that I was brought up on. And... It made things easy in one respect, a couple of respects, actually. It made it easy in the sense that we didn't have to worry about somebody following along with us because we were all using the King James Version. It also made it easier for me to understand Shakespeare when I got into high school because it was Elizabethan English. But, of course, not too many people read Elizabethan English much anymore. But notice in the King James and New King James Version, instead of the word founder, you have the word captain. In the NASV, the New American Standard Version, which is a great translation, author. 
author of our salvation. And then, in the New International Version, it's pioneer. Now, those are pretty different words, aren't they? And whenever you find a word or a difference like that in, in the translations, it's, it's good to do some extra study on it and see what's going on here. Now, all of these are acceptable translations of the word. They emphasize different aspects of the word. The common idea that runs through all of those, okay, captain, author, pioneer, founder, is it refers to somebody who begins something that the rest of us can follow along with, that we can follow what the other person started. So think, look back there. If they're the founder, then, okay, we established what it was they founded. Um, the school that Hubert and I went to is Freed Hardeman University. And uh, I think maybe he had a chance to meet N.B. Hardeman, who was the founder of that school. And uh, we enjoyed going to school there and appreciate what he did in founding that school. If any of you have ever been in the military or a paramilitary organization, you follow a captain. I mean, you you follow them. You hope you have a good captain. And uh, an author, an author writes something, and we follow along in, in what they've written. We appreciate all the work they've gone to in, in writing that. A pioneer, obviously, blazes the path, and we appreciate what that pioneer has done. So they begin something, and we follow and appreciate the benefits of what they have created. The word in Greek is archegos. Now, I have the Greek word there, but I also have it pronounced phonetically. Archegos. Now, you don't have to ever remember that again. There's not going to be any test after this. But that's the word. And it means all of those things. It means it's referring to even more than what we just saw used as a translation for Ephesians 2, or uh, Hebrews 2, rather. In Exodus 6.14 in the Septuagint, the word is used to refer to heads of family. Well, obviously, if somebody is the head of a family, they're the founder of that family, you might say, and we follow along in their genealogy and in their benefits. Um, If you really think about it, Jesus, being the founder of salvation, was also the founder of of the family or the household of God, Ephesians 2.19. So we read about the household of God, his family. And Jesus is the head of that family, head of the church. In fact, we also read it to, uh, see that refers to a founder of a city or a founder of, of some state, something like that. Um, it's amazing to me how many people don't, know why their hometown or why the town they live in has its name. Um, I grew up in Marietta, Ohio, famous town historically in Ohio, named for Marie Antoinette because it was founded by Revolutionary War soldiers. Uh, Washington paid them off with land because he didn't have money to give them, but he knew that there was rich farmland over there. And they appreciated what the French had done for them in helping fight the Revolutionary War, fighting the British off. And they named their town in honor of Marie Antoinette. Well, Westerville is named for the Westervelt brothers, 
who came from New York into this area in 1816, became prominent members of the community, donated land that was used for what was called a young man's seminary, not necessarily a religious school like we think of it today, but something like a high school. And um, it was named Blinden, Blinden's uh, Young Men's Seminary. seminary. And uh, it didn't really last very long. And in, that, was, that was about 1838. In 1847, the defunct school was handed over to another organization. It's been more successful. Today it's known as Otterbein University. So the Westervelt brothers are the ones who helped do that. And then when it came to establish a post office, which often had to do with the naming of the town, they named it in honor of the Westervilts. They called it Westerville. So that's how we got Westerville. So they were the founders of the city. Well, again, Jesus is the founder of his church. He said, I will build my church, and he did. And you know what? We call it by his name, the Church of Christ, because he's the founder. The word is also used as the founder of a school of philosophy. And so if we think about the Socratic school, you know, Socrates died about 400 years before Christ was born. And his prominent student, his most prominent student, as history tells it anyway, was Plato. And then Plato became the teacher of Aristotle. So you have Socrates and Plato and Aristotle known as really the three keys of the Socratic school of philosophy, which said, you know, we don't know everything. We need to question things. We need to examine our lives. The, un- the unexamined life is not worth living. And that was prominent in the development of Western thought. They were the founders of that, the archegos. Well, Jesus was the founder of Christianity. And certainly, what he has taught has been even more prominent than the Socratic school of thought. It's it's had greater impact, certainly, upon the world. The word can also be used as a leader of social movements. Martin Luther King, Jr., a leader of the Civil Rights Movement, would have been an archegos of that movement. Jesus was the leader of truly a social movement. If you read Roman history and see how corrupt and how different it was before Christianity than after Christianity, you can see the impact of that, that social movement. Yes, a religion, a faith, it also amounted to a social movement. It can also refer to a military leader. We've also already seen that it can refer to a captain. A military leader, especially one who leads from the front. If you study military history, you know that George Patton was a general that led from the front. He was out there with his men. He wasn't held back in headquarters directing things. He'd get out there and at one point was directing traffic to help get vehicles through to where they needed to go for battle. And then a pioneer opening a new way. In 1804, Lewis and Clark were commissioned by Thomas Jefferson 
to explore the newly purchased Louisiana Territory. Vast area. Didn't know what was out there. Was hoping there was a river that would run from the Mississippi through to the Pacific. I thought there might even be prehistoric animals. In Stephen Ambrose's book, Undaunted Courage, one of the most fascinating books I've read for history, um, it's amazing what, what they encountered and what they found there. And their, their trials in going through and breaking in clear to the Pacific. Their story about encountering the first grizzly bear was hilarious. Um, they, couldn't, they couldn't stop it. They finally escaped it, but they could not stop it. But those were brave men. And only one of them that left on that journey did not come back. Only one of them died. And that was apparently from appendicitis. But they blazed that trail. Jesus, as the founder of salvation, blazed the trail for us to heaven. And so we can see, really, that this word, founder, that is translated in the English Standard Version, founder, is a rich word and carries with it all of these different nuances. And when we understand that, I think we have a better appreciation for what it means for Jesus to be truly the founder of salvation. He made salvation possible for us. In Romans chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, we see a contrast between Adam, the man of sin, and Jesus, the man that gave us salvation. For it be, if because of one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. As Brandon so clearly helped us understand this morning, had Jesus not died on the cross, we would not have the hope of being made righteous. We would not have the hope of salvation. One picture for you. Take a look at that. How would you like to be on that boat? Now, when I was a younger man, I was a pretty good swimmer, pretty strong swimmer. wouldn't bother me to jump in the ocean, a lake, a river, just most any water. And I liked doing that. I, could, I was a good swimmer. I wouldn't want to be in that water, even when I was young. Didn't want to get in, uh, you know, the, the river headed over the Niagara Falls either. I, that was one river I didn't want to swim in. But do you think about being on a boat like that and being in a situation where you're caught between the waves and a, a rocky shore? Wouldn't you appreciate it if somebody was strong enough to take a line and swim it to shore and hook it up to some of those rocks and make a steady line so that you could take hold of that line and pull yourself to shore?
the person who would swim that line to shore would be the Archegos. And that's what Jesus did in going through all that he did here on earth and being the first one to die and be raised and go to heaven, blazing that trail for us. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 22, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, if he was the first fruits, it implies there are going to be fruits following. That's us. But he was the first fruits. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Let's consider also the blessed assurance of Jesus being the Archegos or the founder of salvation. Now, this is the part where you should gain some encouragement. Okay, you, understand, you should understand the word clearly by now and also see how Jesus is clearly the founder of our salvation. But notice that because he is, we have the assurance that Jesus understands our temptations. He's been through it. In Hebrews 2.18 and also chapter 4, verse 15, we see that he is the high priest that understands what it is to be tempted. We can go to him. When we're tempted, and he understands that because he himself was tempted, yet without sin. Sometimes we sing the song, you know, does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with our grief and troubles and temptations. And we can go to him for strength to overcome those temptations. We should find encouragement or assurance that we can be encouraged when we are weary. You ever just get tired of it all sometimes? Sometimes when I read about Elijah, you know, he was fleeing Jezebel and Ahaz, and he got under the tree, and he said, Oh, Lord, you know, just take me. There's nobody else out. I'm the last one. Well, what did the Lord do? He fed him, and he made him rest. And after that, he felt a lot better. Sometimes when we're feeling weak and discouraged, we just need a good meal and a nap. Just like when we're <laughs> the little kids, right? They're cranky, and they need, a, they need something to eat and a good nap. Well, in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, now those are the witnesses that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11 in Faith's Hall of Fame. Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, same word, Archegos, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, think about that. Let's stop here a minute. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The joy set before him was not the cross. The joy that was set before him was heaven, his glorification. But because of that, 
joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Because Jesus has already been there. Look to him as your example. You should find that encouraging. There's an awful lot. I don't know if you encounter this where you work or not, but right before I retired, uh, maybe even a couple or three years before I retired, there was so much of an emphasis on happiness. Let's be happy. And if you start keying in on that word, if you haven't already, there's a lot of talk about being happy. And my boss called me in and he said, Jim, what makes you happy? And I thought, huh? And I don't know if I'd ever really had anybody ask me that question. What makes you happy? It's like, it's, that's different from saying, what do you like to do? Or who do you like to be with? Or... And thinking on that for a while, I, I, I don't, you know, the Bible doesn't talk a lot about being happy. The Bible talks, though, a lot about being joyful. One of, the fruit, one of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Let me suggest to you that joy is linked to eternity. That we might not be real happy here because of some things that we're going through. But we're still joyful because we know that this is only temporary and that we have a home in heaven waiting for us. That's what gives us joy. The joy set before Jesus was not the cross. The joy was the fact that he was going to finish his mission and be at the right hand of God. Let us be joyful people. That doesn't mean we need to go around you know, being grump stumps either and say, well, I'm joyful. I'm just not happy right now. No. That's not what we're talking about. But we Christians have more than happiness. Christians have joy. Along with encouragement that when we're weary, we can have confidence that we can overcome the world. Jesus said in John 16, 33, he said, you know, he talked about his death, the fact that he's going to die and come back. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And because he has overcome the world, we can follow in his path. And through him, overcome the world. We can have the assurance of resurrection. We've already referred to 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 22. But let's take a look at it again. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. That's the whole point of that chapter, the resurrection chapter. If we say there's no resurrection, then we're saying Christ was not raised from the dead. But indeed, he has been. And so we have confidence of our resurrection as well. Do you ever doubt that? Do you ever wonder? Do you ever, do you ever really think to yourself, and you don't have to raise your hands or anything, but do you ever think to yourself, I hope there really is a resurrection. 
Well, if you ever have that question, you just think back to the same thing you think about when you say, you know, did God really create the heavens and the earth? Was there really a flood over all the earth? Was Adam and Eve, were Adam and Eve the first people, and did we all come from them? And then through, through Noah and his family. Um, is all of this true? Well, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he was raised from the dead? We have reason to believe Jesus was raised from the dead. We know he was a historical figure. Really, nobody doubts that. We have too much historical information that he lived. And then we have the apostles who, who told us about him. Could they have been making a hoax? Could it all have been a big hoax? You know, there have been a lot of people who've perpetrated hoaxes in history. But one thing that they didn't do that the apostles did is that they died. The apostles died. The the other people didn't. The apostles did die for what they were teaching. I dare suggest that if you had gone up to Peter and said, and, and he wasn't telling the truth. He hadn't seen the resurrected Lord. He was all big hoax. And you said to Peter, we're going to kill you unless you renounce the Lord. Hey, i just kidding. Just kidding. Not Peter. Not the other apostles. They were willing to die for what they taught. That gives me a lot of assurance that their witness was true. And, you know, if that witness is true and Jesus really is the Son of God, and if he was raised from the dead... It all goes back to Jesus because he believed the Old Testament. He taught the Old Testament. He believed that God created the heavens and the earth. He believed in Adam and Eve. He believed in Noah. He believed Jonah. And what happened to him when he was cast overboard? He believed that. And if Jesus believed it, that's good enough for me because he was the son of God. It all goes back to Jesus, and if we believe in Jesus, then we believe in the resurrection. Because he was there. He went ahead of us. He was the first fruits for us. As by one man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam all die, in Christ all shall be made alive. And then also we have the hope of heaven. Hope. The word hope in the New Testament does not carry with it the idea of maybe, maybe not. You know, Gavin, do you ever think, you know, I hope I get this particular gift for my birthday? You know, I hope. But you're not really sure you're going to get it, right? We've all been like that. But um, that's not the hope of the New Testament. The hope of the New Testament means confident expectation. Our confident expectation is heaven. We're confident it's there. And having the hope of heaven is something that so many people in this world do not have. And our society is becoming more and more hopeless. And by that I mean they don't have hope. People are craving Hope, And they're craving hope because they've they've left Christianity. They've left Jesus. 
They've renounced heaven. And they are without hope. Have you heard that the suicide rate is increasing in this country? Have you heard that? Do you know how much? In this century, that is, since 1999, the suicide rate in the United States has increased 30%. That's a lot. And it's because, for a, a big part of it, not all of it, there's not one easy answer to that problem, but a lot of people just have given up. They don't have hope. In some countries, it's even higher. We have hope. Confident expectation of heaven. How blessed we are because Jesus went ahead of us. Notice in John chapter 14, verse 3, he said, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And then, in John 17, verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. He's there waiting for us in his glory, and he wants us to come and be with him. And so we have all of these. We have it. The assurance that Jesus understands our temptations. The encouragement when we are weary. We have confidence that we can overcome the world. We have the blessed, confident expectation of resurrection and of heaven. Because Jesus is our founder, our archegos. The the founder, the captain, the author, the pioneer of salvation. All of those things in that one word. He's gone before us to open the way so that we can follow him to glory. But to enjoy that glory with him, we must follow him. It doesn't make much sense for us to have somebody going out ahead of us for all of these great blessings and not be following him. John 12, verse 26, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be be also. And one more scripture here, John 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. We must follow him. And the question that I leave you with tonight is, will you follow Jesus to heaven? Many of you have already obeyed the gospel. Are you still following Jesus? Don't give up. If sin starts to attack you, ward it off through the power that Jesus gives you to do it. If you sin in a way that you need the prayers of the church in your behalf, you can come forward at the invitation song and we will pray for you and encourage you because you are our brother and sister and we love you. And if you're not a Christian, we love you. And we want you to be in heaven with us. But you need to follow Jesus to get there. If you believe he's the Son of God and you're willing to follow him, 
repenting of your sins and confessing your faith in him, come forward tonight. Be baptized. Let us immerse you in water so that you can have the promise of your sins being washed away and live with us as we follow Jesus on that path to heaven. Come, while we stand and sing.